Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Converging Conversations. And today's episode, my name is Onika Jefferson Cornelius. I'm your host and the founder of Convergence Solutions, LLC. Converging Conversations is where we converse with an amazing leader who's joining us to share their story, personal or professional. And they share how they've made the connection between who they are, what they do, and how they serve others. These conversations are designed to pique your curiosity, challenge your thinking, and encourage you to unleash more of you in the world. Today's guest is a phenomenal consulting executive, mom of a special needs young person, an advocate, and a community builder. Today, I'm joined by Marianne De Jesus, who is a senior executive, certified in human performance improvement, training, talent management, diversity and inclusion, and is a certified public, public accountant. She is experienced in a number of fields, right? Working in Fortune 500 firms, small not-for-profits, and has served hundreds of clients in financial services, colleges, universities, nonprofits, you name it. Marianne also serves the community she lives in and is passionate and has been working and serving on board of directors, executive committees, and chairs for the HR Committee of the Children's Center for the Visually Impaired in Kansas City, Missouri. She's an advocate for the visually impaired community and contributes toward greater equity, understanding, and access to opportunities. Marianne, it feels like you have done it all. Today, our topic is about what it means as we explore the disabled community journey through the eyes of a mother, a caregiver, and an advocate. So Mary Ann, happy new year, first of all. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. How you doing? I'm doing great. Happy new year to you. And thank you for having me. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. I am I am so excited. It's been a minute since we've had a chance to, to talk and connect. It's been so great to meet you and connect. And I invited, I kind of threw this over the wall, right, at you. And I said, hey, come join me on the podcast. I'd love to hear in your words what made you decide to accept this crazy invitation to come and hang out with me on the Convergent Conversations podcast. Tell me a little bit about your story. Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited to be here and very thankful for the opportunity. Um, I guess what made me decide to accept the invitation was besides, you know, our relationship was the fact that you know, I really thought it was an opportunity to create awareness around individuals that are blind or visually impaired mm -hmm. and sharing my lived experiences as a caregiver, a mom of a visually impaired child and providing perspectives on their abilities. That's important. And my hope that this will get others thinking about creating opportunities for them in the workforce since the visually impaired community um, is very underemployed currently. So right. I know part of what I think what what kind of drew us together, we were talking about that passion, which was palpable. You were doing some work around how do you build awareness, how do you build community for people who are either dealing with impairments or have family members and their caregivers and the realization that there were not a lot of resources, there were not a lot of outlets, there wasn't a place to make that voice known. Tell me a little bit yeah. about how that shaped up as you've raised this amazing young man. Absolutely. That was probably one of the most challenging things. When I think back to um, getting my son's diagnosis, he was literally three weeks old when we were given his diagnosis about his visual impairment. 
-hmm. And we were, you know, we went to a specialist and um, we were given, I remember it was in a yellow um, folder, um, a packet of information with here's what your, your, your son has. Um, you can contact this, you know, this organization and, and have a nice day. Um, it was really, really challenging. And at that point in time, I had, I couldn't even process everything had just been told. Um, but luckily, um, a few weeks later, um, an organization, which you mentioned, which I sit on the board of directors, um, CCVI or the Children's Center for the Visually Impaired reached out to our family and did a home visit to um, just do an assessment on the situation. And my son was enrolled in um, their early intervention program, which started literally um, a few weeks later. So he received orientation and mobility and other services um, through the school, and he was there till he was three years of age. Um, and one of the things that I think was amazing about, you know, the work with that organization was that they were doing things to make sure that developmentally his vision would not um, pull him back from staying on track, crawling, walking, all the things that you see a baby develop um, over the first year of their life. Right. And the other thing that was amazing about being paired up with that organization was that they they taught us, my husband and I, to be advocates of our child. And I'm not going to lie, I was completely overwhelmed um, that first year. Um, I had three other children at the time, right? So it wasn't like all my time and energy could be dedicated um, to the my one son. Right. And I was working full time, right? So I had a career that was just a lot going on. And, you know, I think one of the things that was also kind of critical at that juncture that I want to acknowledge for other parents and caregivers is that you go through this um, process of like grieving a loss, I'll call it. Right. Because when you're told that your child has condition, or a disability, um, all of a sudden you have this realization of there's a sense of loss of, you know, can that child um, do all the things that their other siblings can do? Um, so that was also a big part of the overwhelm because I'm a planner and I'm a person that likes to think ahead. And so, right. you know, I mapped, I mapped out his life, you know, he's going to do yeah. this, he's going to do that. And this was um, a part of the plan. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, I think even today in the work that I've been doing in corporate, I'm still seeing that there's a tremendous gap in giving parents or the caregivers, like really pointing them to the resources that are available and, and, and finding your way to the help that you need. And it's not just the help you need for the child or the adult um, that you have a caregiving responsibility around. It's the, the help that you need in being strong and learning to advocate, which I think is critical right. um, because you see um, a lot of um, people that 
sometimes what they do is they, they almost make the disability greater because they limit um, what that child or that adult um, can do, right? Through their own actions. So learning that advocacy early on is really important. And something that we took, um, the mindset we took on was one of, we're going to try everything. We're not going to limit him and we're going to try things. And if things work out, then fantastic. They work out and he can do that and, and be involved in, in those kinds of activities. And if it, you know, his vision prevents him from being involved in certain activities, we learn from it and we move on. And I think that's, that made a big difference. Um, looking at where he is today and, you know, again, how we've help to um, really bring all of his abilities to the forefront, right? And giving him the confidence to now be his own advocate since he's a young adult at this point. That's awesome. And and it really sounds like it comes down to not just being visible, but being vocal in advocacy, right? Yeah, really absolutely. You know, we've had so many conversations where we talk about the similarities, right, that we've had as as we've grown up as black and brown people in, in corporate, right, coming along on that journey, learning, growing, and then ultimately leading, right, leading teams, leading people, leading functions, or organizations, and businesses. Interested to hear your perspective. What do you think has been the biggest challenge you've had to face, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, um, there's been many, um, but I'll kind of focus on, on the corporate side. And I think that for me, the biggest challenge, especially early on in my career, I would say the first, you know, third or half of the, my career um, was being um, the one, the first and only. I can, I have, you know, multiple handfuls of multiplied by, you know, 10 of how many times I was the one and only in that room. Yeah. Um, and that was challenging, the one and only on a team, the one and only um, in a work group. It was challenging because there wasn't any role models. Yeah. Um, that even, forget about looked like me, had my <laughs> dimensions of diversity. There was very few women. Right. Um, right. right. And so like, you know, I have a lot of very humorous stories about the beginning of my career um, and being in such a male-dominated environment. Um, and why was that challenging? Because you really had to assimilate into those established models of successful individuals because back then the conversation of DE and I wasn't even on on the radar like that was not the language for it right that wasn't right there was no lexicon at that point for it right um and it was challenging because that assimilation doesn't allow you to really be who you are be yourself right bring your uniqueness um to the workplace but you i assimilated i fit in i followed and fit into the molds of what was defined back then as successful individuals. And what I saw over time was that the conversation did start changing. 
the environment started changing. And I made sure that I had the courage, and I use that word specifically, to when those opportunities presented themselves, really go to the table and inform. Inform. This is my experience as a woman in this, you know, in, in the workplace. This is my experience as a mother and juggling my career and um, being a mom. Yeah. And that was important to have that courage because, again, these conversations were not rampant back then or common. And you needed to be the person that would step up and raise the awareness or the issue. Um, I've had to do that so many times in my career because, again, thinking back to the beginning, very few even um, programs or benefits um, were designed in a way that it looked through the lens of diversity. Yeah. Um, so for example, when you think about, um, and, and that was later in my career, um, but nonetheless, back then, um, that's not how things were in the workplace. And so being the person that needed to step up and have that courage to say, hey, this kind of doesn't work for me. And here's why. And I'd like you to consider this, this, and this. Um, in the beginning, sometimes people didn't know what to do with that and how to take that information and that perspective. But what I found over time was that I actually gained a level of immense respect by my peers and colleagues because people were like, wow, that's kind of, important, right? And over time, as you became less of the one and only, and there was more people that were like you or that were experiencing some of those same life events, if you will, right? Um, it just helped inform the strategy within the organization of the, the gaps that existed um, because the workforce was changing. Um, you know, I remember a time where it flipped and, you know, 50% of the entry class, more than 50% of the entry class was women. Right. Um, so for me, you know, I would say that was one of the biggest challenges. It required a lot of strength. It required a lot of perseverance um, because I often heard in the workplace from people like, we don't know how you do this. Like, we don't know how you do this, right? Meaning, they were referring to the fact that I had a family and my career, and I was trying to ascend into the higher levels of the organization. So, yeah, you you mentioned something which is actually one of my words for the year. So it's it's interesting that it's it's come up. Courage, right? Many times you're in in circumstances, and you're in rooms, and you're making you know you're making room. Your skills, your capability, what you know how to do that's uniquely you is needed in the space, but it takes courage to be able to ask the questions or to make the statements. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily know how important and significant courage is, but it is literally a building block. So thank you. You know, as you shared that, I was thinking about how much of, how much the life and needs, you were mentioning your son, you know, we shared, you shared bits and pieces of his story with me in the past and you were sharing, you know, 
what is it like to navigate in a world for disabled people, right? Where their needs or what they are dealing with appear to be invisible to the abled community. You know, mm -hmm. if you think about those experiences and you've advocated, you know, what have been ways that you've uniquely been that voice to, to build yes. the programming that he needed? Like you said, that unity. I think that's powerful. It, it, it shapes who, who you've become because you can't separate the mom and, and, you know, the executive and the problem solver. The reality of it is you're all of those things. How have you integrated them? You know, just transparently, how have you integrated them? Yeah, I mean, the mom is always with me because my family is so important to me. And, you know, I've had to make a lot of sacrifices in my career yeah. um, because family came first. That's just the way it is. Um, so she's always there, right? And she, I think, brings immense perspective into the workplace, especially in advancing um issues that and challenges and, and bringing them to the forefront that women and moms face in the workplace or have been facing for a very long time. And I have to say that I've seen a lot of progress um, in that space, right? Because um, a lot of programming has been put in place. And, and I'll give you an example. Becoming very prevalent was losing women when they basically were um, getting ready to start a family or after they had their first child. Okay. Um, and so I became very active in being a voice around that um, to inform, well, this is what it's like. This is what the experience is. This is what I have to do. This is what my day looks like, right? right? My day starts at 5.30 or 6 a.m. and ends at midnight. And it's a long day and it's a lot. Um, and I'm willing to do it. But we have to find the support mechanisms. Um, we have to change the environment in particular so that women are not made to feel guilty or less dedicated because they have to leave um, the workplace a few days a week um, to go pick up their children from daycare and things of that nature. Um, so it's been good to see the progress. It's been great to be part of that conversation and informing those strategies. But going back to the point you made about the workplace and disability and the invisibility of that, um, I really have taken it upon myself in the last few years of my career and, and you know, as I'm pivoting my career mm -hmm. um, to really become an advocate around D, E, and I. And I say that because, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are such strong and powerful words. Um, and each one of them has a different objective and meaning right? Yeah. Um, but what I often see in the workplace and even in broader society is that the world is not built in a way that disability is a consideration. Um, so for me, it's really important to advocate for this because I want my son to have the same opportunities as the rest of my children, right? Um, and the world needs to be redesigned, 
So that if we're going to create true inclusion, then we have to um, really think about um, the disabled community and how do we create opportunities for them to be part of the talent pipeline? Right. How do we modify the work environment so that it's conducive for them to be successful and fruitful and have great careers? And, you know, how do we think differently? Um, because when I think about, you know, the debate right now about remote work, there's such a debate and, you know, I'm a proponent that having face-to-face -face time with people is really critical. It builds relationships, it builds rapport, it builds trust, it builds your teamwork. Um, you innovate more creatively when you're in person. However, people need flexibility. And that came through loud and clear during COVID. And so many people during COVID became caregivers, um, particularly of adults, right? Um, that either were severely impacted by the, you know, the, the pandemic or just life changed, right? Um, and I think it's really important that employers take a view of understanding that for a person with a disability, so I'll just use um, a colleague that I got to know pretty well who was blind. Mm -hmm. She needed to leave her house and she didn't live that far away from, you know, the office that she worked in, but she needed to leave her house several hours before she was, you know, if you will, clocking into work because just getting to work and the transport to work was a lot harder than you and I, right? Um, I can jump in my car and drive myself downtown or, you know, in past lives when I lived in some of the bigger cities, right? I, I took a train or a bus and commuted. And um, so I think it's really important as we think about the advocacy um, and the, and not just the programming, because programming is important in organizations and making sure that, again, we are being inclusive and creating programming that um, fills in gaps, right? So that we're leveling the playing field and creating that level of equity for people. Right. But also thinking about the concept of, for some people, coming to the office is much more challenging. So maybe... Um, it's not giving people special treatment. It's understanding that there are so many more challenges in place. So, you know, maybe we can redesign some of the jobs um, or re redesign jobs to have a level of flexibility. Like um, it doesn't mean they don't want to be with their peers or interact or come to the workplace, but maybe not every day, right? Maybe not three times a week. Maybe they come in a few times a month um, to allow for them to, again, um, not have the stress, Onika. I've heard that from people. It's extremely stressful. By the time I get to work, I'm completely stressed out um, just from commuting. Um, so I think it's just important that those of us um, that don't walk in those shoes, um, really 
not only advocate, but that we're allies for people. And for me, it's obviously very personal. Um, and, and the main reason is because I want my son to have a fruitful career, to be recruited into an organization and be given the opportunity um, to contribute and to um, fulfill the goals that he set for himself or as he continues to grow and develop the goals that he has and that he aspires to be. So, yeah, and uh, I mean, that's, I love the way you put it, right? Advocacy is really about listening. And it's about stepping outside of what we see and what we live every day, right? We we do think, you know, I don't know anybody, I think COVID exposed how much everybody disdains commuting, but you add the complexity of navigating a commute without sight is huge, mm -hmm. it's huge, right? It, it introduces complexity and you know, needs and thoughts and a process that we, to your point, we we don't even think about. And so that creates a, a need for just a level of sensitivity that I don't think Absolutely. we realize and we recognize. And that's that's really powerful. Thank you so much yeah. for, for that. Um, let's talk about you a little bit. I always ask this question of, of folks that come into this space with me. And I ask, you know, if you could talk to your young to your and you're thinking about everything that she's been through, if you could step back in time and talk to her and encourage her, what would you say? Yeah, I would tell her to always believe in herself um, because the world sometimes makes you doubt yourself so many times over. So it's really important to always believe in yourself. I would tell her you're powerful and you can achieve whatever you set your mind to do and not to let the challenges that she encounters in life stop her from finding her way to her goals. Um, because, you know, a lot of times when I've responded to and mentored um, younger people in my career mm -hmm. and people make the comment of, how do you do this? How do you do this with five children? You know, how do you juggle your career? and all those things, I often tell people, I'm like, I remember who I was at 21 and what I wanted to achieve. And being a mom was one of those goals, but it wasn't the only goal. Okay. So I needed to find a way to um, still reach my other goals, right? And, and juggle being a mother and juggle my career and figure out that path for myself. Um, so I think that's really important because you shouldn't lose yourself um, along the way, right? And quite frankly, you know, this is something that um, I've had to deal with so many times over. Um, because like I said, even earlier, when you know, when my son was born, I kind of planned out his life in my head, right? Yeah. I, I I charted that path of, oh, he'll go to this and kindergarten and high school and dances and all the things that, you know, right? You just that chart all out. All mommies do, right? All mommies that, do, right. do it. We, we start building the map once we know that they're on the way, right? Exactly. And all of a sudden, you know, at three weeks of age, you get a di diagnosis that says, and that's going to change, right? Um, so I always um, 
reflect on this, that life is all all about how we handle plan B, Um, Mm -hmm. right? And so plan A is how you map out your life and all your little dreams and aspirations. But plan B is how do you hand, how do you still achieve some of your dreams and aspirations, if not all of them, but in a different path than the one that you charted out for yourself? So um, life really is about how you handle plan B. And you could take the uh, pity route and feel sorry for yourself because you had a loss or you had a change in direction, or you can gain strength from that and say to yourself, I'm, I can do this. I'm going to find a way. And it's going to be different than other people's path, but it's going to be the path that leads me to those goals and those aspirations. So that's what I would tell her because, you know, a lot of it, I just gained that strength by kind of falling down or being knocked off, you know, that path, right. And just picking myself back up. But if I could talk to her, I would tell her all those things so she would know it very early on. That's powerful. There's a, you mentioned plan B. You are a living example of there's power in the pivot, right? That you can pivot and it'll be okay. Alrighty, as we get ready to wrap up, if you could wave your magic wand, how would you build engaging and inclusive cultures and communities that create that sense of belonging? What would that look, feel, and sound like to you? Yeah. Well, let me think about that for one second. Um, Yeah, I think if I had the magic wand, which often I wish I did, um, (laughs) life would would be so much easier if we had the magic wand, wouldn't it? Um, A little Disney goes a long way some days. Um, But anyway, I would create environments that I guess I'll say are professional, but also personal. Um, Meaning that we truly understand the people around us, um, what matters to them and who they truly are. Um, And we take the time to invest in our relationships that way. Um, Because I find that when I've done that as a leader, especially in the workplace, and of course it applies outside of the workplace, But when I've done that, which is kind of the way I operate these days, right? You get a very different response from people. When people truly feel that you're trying to create a true connection, not the, hi, how are you? I'm fine, I call it, because we are conditioned to respond to the, how are you question by saying I'm fine. But when you really take the extra time. And sometimes it's just a few minutes at the beginning of a meeting before you start that meeting. Sometimes it's actually scheduling a one-on-one with someone because you're noting that something just seems off. And when you demonstrate care to people and empathy, what you give back is so much greater um, because the person feels seen. Yeah. The person feels heard. The person feels like somebody cares about something more than some a deliverable or a deadline or right something that I have to get accomplished for them. They see me as an individual and what my needs are. 
Um, and again, it goes back to that flexibility. Um, I've had to do a lot of interesting things um, throughout my career to juggle my family and my career. And it never meant that I was less dedicated, right? But again, sometimes I had to break that down. So I try to pay it forward to other people by making sure that I'm creating environments where um, I, I tend to, what is important? What is, what else do you have going on, right? And let's work through that. And if you need flexibility on Tuesdays and Thursdays, then I'm going to give it to you, right? And, you know, because I know that that, that individual comes back to the workplace with a very different mindset, with a sense of relief. But I think the other thing that I would like my magical wand to do would be to, you know, I wish for a workplace and a society. It's not just the workplace. It's also out there, right, in our communities mm -hmm. that celebrates what each individual brings to the table and respects and leverages their skills, their differences, their ideas, and their experiences to create products, services, and experiences that are inclusive and think of all the stakeholders and the people in our community. It would be a world without in-groups and out-groups that create exclusion because we don't need exclusion, right? We need to make people feel like they belong. Um, and so to me, that's what I wish my magical wand would do, right? Um, that we could cut through this and get to a place where um, differences are, that people seek to understand differences, because I think we're more similar than we are different, right? Quite frankly, we're more similar than we are different. Yeah, um, that's the and truth. Then, it is. Right? And then we seek to understand them, and you respect. You don't have to agree, but you respect, and you treat people with respect, um, and you, again, treat people like they belong here and you give, you know, it, again, it just becomes a better environment all, all around. Um, so that's what I wish for. I, I think we can get there. Maybe not in my lifetime. I think we can get there. Yeah. Um, but that's what I would love to see in the workplace and in broader society, right? Um, there's a lot of situations in broader society that right need to be addressed, like how people um, with disabilities may be treated or again, not thought of, right? Um, I see, I've seen a lot of that. Um, and I think, you know, there's an opportunity to have another discussion really digging into the workplace and some of the strategies around people with disabilities and some of the simple changes that can be made just by creating awareness of your workforce of there might be someone sitting right across from you that has an invisible disability and they don't have any obligation to tell you that, right? But you need to start thinking through the lens of there may, there's just that possibility. So when we're crafting things, um, whether that be, you know, activities for the team to do together, that we think through those lenses so that we are creating true inclusion, right? And not picking something that maybe someone cannot participate in and things of that nature. So-
That's powerful. And I love the fact that you said we need to have a deeper discussion. We need to definitely find some time. So I'd love if you'd be willing to come back and we talk about what that looks like in action, right? What, yeah. what belonging and inclusion look like in action. You game for that one? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Sounds like a plan. Well, Miss Marianne, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. We've had these conversations offline for so long, but I, I wanted to make room and welcome you into this space to come and share. Uh, each each time we wrap up, I always ask my guests or my guests as we think about you know our checkout word. For me, my time today with you, if I could sum it up in one word, has been insightful. There are things that we just don't think about and I appreciate you coming in, being vulnerable and sharing your journey as a mom and what that was like. So thank you, that's been insightful for me. If you could check out with your one word, what would your one word be for today? Um, my one word is radiant and I, Wow. I like that word because it captures a quote from um, Maya Angelou, which I'll read to you. Nothing can dim the light that shines from within. And I feel like I have a light inside me that's saying, do this, be that advocate, make that change happen. And I believe that I can. And it may not be at the largest scale in society, but I feel um, radiant and empowered to, again, use my voice and advocate for those um, who sometimes don't have the privileges that I've been given. That is awesome. I love it, Radiant. Thank you for the time today. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I appreciate the awesome. conversation. It was wonderful. Awesome. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We would love your feedback about today and what else we can do to create a place to have value-added conversations. So how can you stay engaged with Converging Conversations and the community? We will be posting today's podcast. You'll be able to find it through LinkedIn and on all the podcast platforms. We invite you to come and hang out with us. Again, Marianne de Jesus, thank you so much for being with us here in the space today. We appreciate you. Thank you. All righty. Have a good one, everybody.